Radio. Welcome to Thought Grenades with Robert Thompson and Mike Neese on Blog Talk Radio. Robert is the author of The Offsite, Leadership Challenge Fable, and the founder of LeaderInsideOut.com. And welcome once again to Thought Grenades with Robert Thompson and co-host Mike Neese. This is Monday, May 4, and this is Robert Thompson coming to you live from the beautiful San Francisco Bay as we do each and every Monday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time. And usually joining me from the shores of Lake Michigan is my good friend and co-host Mike Neese, but Mike is off on assignment today, and so he won't be joining us. But we do have a great show once again today. We're absolutely stunned with not knowing exactly who's going to be on here, but that's how it works today. So I think we have uh, Rosalie Harden, uh, who is the executive producer of SOCAP, which is Social Capital Markets. We'll get into all that. We're going to be talking about money today and what's it good for, which is uh, a good topic for the, for the moment. Uh, I think we'll, we may have uh, Tim Sorens and we may have Kevin Jones. So I'm going to find out yep. right now by saying, who's here? <laughs> Who do we have on the line? Okay. Hi, this is Kevin Jones. Uh, Rosalie is not here. Thank I'm you. the convener of SOTAP, and she is the producer. And she is, she does also a, another festival called uh, Wild Goose Festival, which is Lefty Justice Christian Music Art, and that's heading toward launching. Uh, and so she's deeply involved with that right now. Okay. All right. So we have Kevin Jones. Do we have Tim here? Yep, Tim is here. Hi, everybody. All right. We have. Tim here. Hi, Tim. So, Tim, why don't you do it? Um, let's let's do this. Uh, have you guys do your uh, just a quick bio? Um, share a little bit about yourself. Uh, Kevin, why don't you go first? Sure. Uh, I'm a serial entrepreneur. Um, <clears throat> eight out of nine businesses have uh, been successful. The pr- pretty good story on the other one. Uh, and yeah, no, the other the other two have, the other two probably have a better story though, right? <laughs> Well, it just just one was the failure, and and, and it does. It, uh, okay, yeah, yeah, what, yeah, yeah. What yeah. I what I didn't know, uh, you know, almost almost killed me. Uh, but uh, and for the last fifteen years, I've been uh, working in in social enterprise, business with a social purpose, often startups, sometimes backed by venture capital, and then we've created the largest. Uh, the social enterprise and impact investing conference in the world is called SOCAP, Social Capital Market. It's a mix of social capital, meeting capital markets. It's grown from 600 to 2,500 uh, people and it, when it started in 2008. And we have people from 60 countries come. So uh, investors who want to do what's called impact investing, invest positively for good and also make some money. Yeah, that's good. Excellent. Good stuff. Tim? Uh, yeah, my name is Tim Sorens, and I'm the co-founding director of a network called the Parish Collective, which is made up of about a thousand faith communities around North America that have all said that they want to be about holistic community development at the very local level, especially neighborhood level. And I also uh, am a co-author of a book called The New Parish, that talks about that kind of movement. And specifically for this call, I have the honor of curating the place-based innovation track and meaning track 
at SOCAP or Social Capital Markets, what Kevin just talked about. And, uh, and now we're working on a really exciting new venture called Neighborhood Economics. All right, Nate, I want to get into that. Um, folks, if, you know, for those of you who are loyal listeners, you know that uh, this is another one of our um, episodes uh, for leadership for the common good, which uh, Peter Block had challenged us, uh, Mike and I, um, back in December uh, to do more of. And so we're doing that in the first part of this year, bringing on folks like uh, Tim and Kevin and so on uh, to talk about what's going on in the community. Let's, um, since Rose is not here, let's talk about this money thing. What is it good for? Jim, do you want to take that? Or I can take it. Sure. Jim, Kevin wants well, to delegate. Um, <laughs> I'll, um, I'll go first, and, and Kevin, you, you can follow up and, and be your wise self. I, hmm. I would say, first of all, that money, as we think about it, is a tool. It's, it's, uh, if we think about money as a tool, then it's good for nearly anything you can imagine. It would be good for all kinds of things. When money becomes um, a king in our minds or kind of a, it has kind of a godlike stature, when that's all that we care about or that's all that we're working for, it distorts um, our capacity to be about really great things. So I think we primarily think of money as a tool um, and in that sense as a gift and sets the stage for all kinds of exciting new Opportunities and ventures. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you, you have something called two pocket thinking about money. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, that's a, it actually was a, a phrase uh, that I first heard uh, related uh, by Bill Gates. And we were doing one of the first of these impact investing funds called Good Capital Social Enterprise Expansion Fund. And one of the the companies we were interested in was a fair trade company uh, doing fair trade coffee, if you know what that is. And uh, mm-hmm. he, he was a, a Microsoft cash out who started this company, and he was pitching Bill Gates to kind of co-invest alongside us. And Gates was dumbfounded. Gates found the idea offensive to the degree that he'd asked him to leave. He said, look, I have two pockets. I have one pocket. I try to put all the money I can in the world just as fast as I can. And that's what I'm thinking about. And then I have another pocket where I put some of that excess and I try to do good things with it. But if you say there's a space in between giving and investing, that's a horrendous thought. I can't be around that thought. And he asked his guy that had known a long time to leave. We had two different billionaires that we pitched on that fund, and they physically could not be around that idea that there was a space between giving and investing that you could use the, the goals of philanthropy to give and do good, but you could make investing be a tool for doing good. They, they liked the old bifurcated way, something we inherited, you can say, from the robber baron. Some people think that we inherited it from the folks who, uh, in the 13th century, who created sovereign currency. But, you know, you could, you could blame John D. Rockefeller and all those folks, but it, it, it's the way of thinking where all you have to do when you think about investing is you, you're justified thinking about yourself. And then you d- give back and do good with the other money, which is one reason why the Gates Foundation sometimes gives to things that are problems caused by Gates' investment. In, you know, the, the classic case of the Gates Foundation was that they were trying to help the refugees of Darfur and they were also investing in helicopter gunships and 
that bifurcated thinking is what we try to help get people to help people to, to move out of. Right. At our conference, we've done that. We're the market at the intersection of money and meaning, and so people come and realize that you can invest positively for good. Sometimes you make more money, sometimes you make less money, but your goal is to do good in the most effective way. So it's like philanthropy powered by smart investing. That's one way to look at and, it. And you, yeah, and that's very helpful. It helps me understand uh, what's going on here. <clears throat> it over the last few years, of course, <clears throat> excuse me. There's been a this thing a conversation out there in the wild about taking back our economy from Wall Street and giving it back to Main Street. Talk a little bit about that. Is that is that what this does? Is that what this would do if we change our our way of looking at money? Well, one of the things we've found is that the easiest way, you know, so so you can invest this way, and sometimes it could be, you know, there's an overlap of being market rate, high return, and high impact. And there are a couple places where that's true today in financial inclusion, which is not making money off the poor, but making money reducing the cost of being poor. And because of smartphones and big data, it's you can you can get, you know, top, venture capital returns in that sector. But that's the, that's the rarity. Often there's a cost to do good because, you know, you're dealing with the embedded costs of injustice that have been priced into the market or not dealt with. And so one of the ways that it's easiest to get over the, the idea of two-pocket thinking is in your own neighborhood. And that's where we think about taking back the economy from Wall Street uh, and in your own neighborhood, it, it's a lot easier to make that decision. You say, what would I give to and what would I gladly give to and what would I invest in that would create a community where my kids could move back here, where I could imagine being around my grandkids. That's that's why we think focusing on the neighborhood is the way that we can overcome the permit, pernicious myth, the nasty myth we've inherited of two-pocket thinking. Mm-hmm. And of course, it it seems like, though, that we're stuck, right? And that's what you guys are working on. Uh, There's an awful lot of people that are stuck thinking like Bill Gates or not being able to think about that gap that you're talking about. Um, Neighborhoods, I mean, that's part of why we were challenged to have more of these kinds of conversations because uh, neighborhoods are where it's at, but yet, at least in the States here, we tend to not be neighbors. We tend to keep to ourselves and and not share and not be a part and have our own little small lives out there. Um, how do we how do we bust out of this thinking? I mean, what are, what are you guys doing to, and what are your colleagues doing to help us bust out? Because what I've learned over the last few months is there's a ton of people out there doing really good things, really great things, really positive things, making a difference. And they just don't get the, the 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 spotlight shined on them that much, so that people can gravitate towards them and continue to um, grow. Um, what is it that we need to do to to make the shift to get people to move on? Too much to go ahead with that. Being, yeah, I'm sorry if I'm not I'll being real clear here, but I'm. Yeah, no, no, I think you're being sense. very clear. I think it's very clear, too. Here's here's how I begin to answer that. I think we are caught in the dichotomy of what you're talking about. My approach and the approach that we're beginning to 
I think about for some of the new stuff we're working on is that movements, I would argue, happen when people who thought they were alone find out that indeed they're not. So exactly what you're saying. I, I've been all over North America and seen incredibly courageous, innovative, you know, powerful people and organizations doing really, really good stuff at the neighborhood and city level. And you're exactly right that a lot of times they go unrecognized, uncelebrated, unresourced. And so I think part of our, our, our task is to begin in you know, certain neighborhoods or cities where we're, for us, in our case, we're invited, and begin to see what's already happening with kind of an appreciative lens, an asset lens of gift and strengths, and begin to right, try and right. put some of those together, and then begin to ask the question, what what tools, what resources might we create together to take this to the next level? Because the truth is there's already amazing stuff happening all over the place. It's just rarely been identified and connected and celebrated and then resourced in a way that it can truly grow and grow and grow. Kevin, I understand that you're also a journalist, as I am, and I understand that Rosa was also involved in newspaper business as I was and so on. Media plays a big role in this. Um, uh, But (laughs) I'm sorry to say that, you know, the surveys say that most most of our citizens in the United States, a good portion of them watch things like Fox News, which does not share proper information, and therefore the citizens of our country don't necessarily know really what's truth out there. And then we have a bunch of people who are joining our ranks in Congress that seem to be also, um, you know, not up for prime time. So how, how do we overcome That's that? right. You know, I, I the stuff we do, you know, acknowledges the political gap, but my basic perspective has always been that, you know, I don't worry about – how to get people who are not in the room to do things they don't seem to want to do. They're, you know, we work well with people who want to do good new things and we can help them. That's one of the reasons that uh, SOCAP has thrived. Our conference is that, you know, we, there are lots of infrastructure gaps. There are people looking at things in the wrong way. And what we found is that, that, you know, I'm pretty good and our team is pretty good at helping the people who want to do good new things, do it better, do it faster, and find ways to, to do it more efficiently. And so, and so I don't really worry about the stuff that isn't happening. I'd rather work with the folks who are doing good new things because there are so many of them. Uh, neighborhood economics doesn't work in neighborhoods that don't work. But if you're, if there is a functional neighborhood where the poor folks are talking to the rich folks rather than the rich folks talking bad about the poor folks, neighborhood economics can work. And so that's one of the reasons that we're excited to work with Peter Block in Cincinnati and some of his folks, because there really is, you know, it doesn't take a lot, but it takes enough people. <clears throat> you need some people of means, and you need some people who are, you know, on uh, free and reduced lunches to be looking at the, the problem together. And so in those places, we can be helpful. We, we have some, some funding tools, some, some, some different kinds of crowdfunding and other kinds of things that we work with people on. And uh, in those neighborhoods where people are ready to do some good new stuff, 
we're able to be effective. So it's I, I just don't work on things where uh, there are lots of places where where people who are not in the room don't do things right the way I think they should. But yeah. I'd rather work with the folks I like who do. The way you, yeah, I like the way you share that. Uh, are you working with Next Door Neighborhood, uh, one of other, Peter's other uh, connections? We're we're really no. interested in them. We're we're exploring a relationship with them. Peter knows them well, and, and I find their platform yeah. really really interesting. Yeah, yeah. No, it's interesting, and you know that's the thing that um, you know we, we had a uh, um, uh, colleague there on the show uh, back in I think it was February talking about next door neighborhood. Um, they're doing something. You know that that's the thing that perhaps is the uh, I don't know what the word is, uh, clearinghouse, if you will, or a way to make the clearinghouse mm-hmm. take place. Because what I think needs to take, I walked in here to this whole stream not knowing a lot of these things that are going on, thinking I was really up to speed on much of what is going on, mm-hmm. but I'm really finding out that I wasn't. And so it's really mm-hmm. kind of uh, it's That's surprising a wise man. how many things that. are, yeah. It's surprising that, that there's a lot of so much going on and not getting the the recognition as we've said, um, but there needs to be a, and I always thought there sh- there should have been as I checked in with Peter. I said, you know, well, where do you go to find you know the central place where all this information is kept? I mean, we have the internet. Good grief, there ought to be a Google for this or something. Um, is that what you guys can become? Can you become the social clearinghouse for this? information of what's going on in the country or the world? It's possible. It's not our goal. Our our goal is to figure out what's happening in a particular neighborhood and then to see what we have in our network that can help that particular neighborhood with what they figure out as the problem. So uh, often it's, uh, you know, I can go into some of the examples of places we're working, but it's really, uh, you know, Eleanor Oster uh, won the Nobel Prize for uh, in in uh, in accounting uh, three or four years ago. She died, but one of the things she said is the way you solve a global problem is not with a global solution, but it's with something she called a polycentric solution, and that means that every place is the center, and so you have to figure out what works here and what works here is different than what works there, and you learn that by talking to folks, and so. I think rather than a, our approach anyway is not to have a, a central clearinghouse where you figure everything out, but w- across a network where we're learning together, we can we can probably find somebody who's working on the thing that you need to know. And that's that. So yeah. our goal, I think, is 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 to make this, and we are already making a network of resilient small towns and cities. We're working in southern Appalachia. We're working in Allentown, Pennsylvania, uh, and we're you know, hopefully now we're going to be working with Peter in Cincinnati. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, yeah, Peter becomes the – I mean, in a way, Peter's brain becomes the clearinghouse. I mean, he and his cohort, Maggie, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, they become oh, the clearinghouse so. because they have – yeah, they have all the connections with all these people. And so when Peter challenged us, uh, Mike and I, to, you know, spread more of this word out there, and use the show for that purpose a bit more. Uh, we agreed, but we also agreed that, you know, they would have to connect us with some folks because it's tough. And, and it was very quick, you know, a couple of emails, and they had, you know, 20 people on the line where they could be guests. So that's all useful. Right. When, when Peter um, calls, you know, uh, people respond. 
Yeah. That's very true. And that's good. That that's a good thing. So I know Peter's going to either be listening live right now or listening uh, in the archive. And so good job, Peter. But um, it, it doesn't. I don't know. Then and we only have a few minutes. So I forgot about ten. So let let me get into the sticky wicket. So we have Baltimore. We have Ferguson. We have New York. We have the police mm-hmm. issue. Yeah. We have all of this stuff going on in these communities, and. And there's so many tools to be able to use to not have that happen. Yet somehow we're choosing not to do all the tools in all the places we 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 can. What do you guys want to do with that? What when you watch the news and you see what's going on in Baltimore and all these places, what makes your hair get on fire? What do you want to do about it? What I this is Tim. I mean. There's a lot of things that I want to do, but in many ways, a lot of what we're talking about here is a word that Peter Block uses a lot, um, and that is social capital. How do people learn to trust one another in an everyday sense? And in many ways, for so many of the problems, not just in Baltimore or New York or Ferguson, um, but I would say nearly everywhere, a lot of the problems come down to in my opinion, a lack of social capital, a lack of us knowing one another and learning to trust one another. And so then we um, get caught up in other stories of individualism and consumerism um, in some neighborhoods or uh, protecting one another. So I think a, a big part of our work is exactly this conversation. How do we identify and connect folks who are doing great things and spur them on? Um, the, the problem with social capital is that when you have a crisis like the, the historic racism and police brutality that's been happening in places like Baltimore, um, if the social capital is not already there or if it's not super strong, it's too late. It's kind of like, um, you know, it's kind of like if, if an earthquake happens and there's not emergency preparedness. Once once it happens, there it is. So. I think we need to be thinking long-term of how do we get people connected and begin to listen well to the dreams they have for their lives and then connect them. I know that's kind of a large-scale answer that doesn't get into realities of oppression and racism, et cetera, but I, I really, that's part of my best hope. Well, and I think that's a good hope because the only thing that really can make a difference is to have people talk about stuff. Um, and then an action plan can be created, right, uh, in their yeah. own community to deal with. Yeah. Yes. And I think I think we we can, we we want to work with people to create community wealth uh, in in communities that don't have it right now. That that you know, or it doesn't look like they have it. And so, if we can do that, that creates some of the resilience, so that they're is, you know, a baseline so that people don't get so mad. You know, I mean, we have to do, you know, there's a reason people get really mad. And we have to work on some of those things before we, you know, before there's a crisis, you know. Uh, and so so I think that's that's where we're working is, is to create some of that, you know, work with people to create some of the, the kind of uh, social capital that will let us create community wealth in places that don't seem to have that now. No. It's a long term. So talk thing. a little bit. About, yeah. It, well, it's obviously a long term thing because I was, you know, my wife and I were talking the other day and we were thinking, okay, so 
let's go back 20, 30 years and talk about some of the things that the you know government was trying to do, govern, and healthcare was one of them, and you know transportation, all these things, infrastructure, and so on, and we're still dealing with, it. and and, mm-hmm. and we have all these people that keep getting elected, and yet the only thing they want to do is you know deal with something that's that's exactly vertical to the only reason why they got in there and everything else doesn't matter. Um, they're not into governing. They're just into getting their opinion uh, legitimized into legislation. So uh, it, it's kind of, it's kind of difficult to look out there and say, okay, the, the structure is set up, the power structure is set up to benefit the people that don't do what we're talking about. And so to shift that culture in the country to make more people do what we're talking about is a huge effort of education and obviously long term. Yeah, it and is. I don't know but what I all think, the, I don't know what all this noise is on the line, but anyway, it's long term. There's no question about it. But can we really get to the long term since the short term seems to be so um, polarizing? Well, you know what, uh, Robert? There's there's an interesting book, this might be another fun guest to have, uh, an author named Benjamin Barber, who wrote a book called When Mayors Rule the World. And the premise is that exactly what you're talking about. Nation states all around the world, when they look at interdependent problems like climate change and human trafficking, etc., keep coming to the table, whether it's Copenhagen or wherever else, and they talk about things and they can't get anything done. He contrasts that with mayors all over the world who need to take out the trash, whether they're Republican or Democrat, and who are, in our current system, maybe the closest elected official to their actual constituencies. So yet again, it's, it's, right. it's a sense of, well, maybe we can get at, maybe we can tell an alternative story by going more local and more of a distributed network kind of imagination. Uh, that just might be one of the major solutions to our problems. I, I couldn't agree more but um, about the kind of intractable federal issue, but maybe we need to put a little bit less of our attention there and a little bit more, a little bit closer to home and, and reach out. We might just find ourselves surprised with solutions. Yeah, I, I, I hope so. I, I love surprises in that way. Um, we only have a couple of minutes, so let's, let's talk about what our listeners can do. Um, can they come to your conference? Do you have other ways they can participate in doing something? Yes, absolutely. We neighborhoodeconomics.org, <clears throat> those two words together, and it's a dot .org. We blog regularly. We're upgrading that site, and actually are meeting with some techies uh, this week about that. Our conference date has not quite been finalized in Cincinnati on neighborhood economics, but this will also be a theme at SoCap, uh, which is, as I mentioned, the largest, you know, about 2,500 people conference. Uh, looking at this kind of investing in, you know, investing in the world we want to live in. Uh, and that's October uh, 3 through 6 in uh, San Francisco uh, for the, I guess, oh, the cool. ninth year. We've been doing it since 2008. Uh, the, the, we, we can let you know within a week probably of the, the date in Cincinnati. But I think you know, we're also building this across the network. So, you know, we are, we are looking as, as we build out in Cincinnati, and build on what we've done in uh, Southern Appalachia and Allentown, Pennsylvania. You know, we're we we're wanting to to build a network of resilient small towns that have this kind of social capital. Because I think, as Tim said, the, the easiest way to change is to change what's right around you. 
Uh, and especially if you think about and the easiest way to think long term is to think, how do I build a community where my kids will want to move back? <clears throat> or for boomers, right. you know, how do I build a community where my kids will want to move back and bring my grandchildren? Because for, for boomers, right. it's uh, it's really a grandchild acquisition strategy that we're in. <laughs> I love that. I'm going to steal that. I'm going to steal it. Good. Go ahead. That's what we're about. Acquisition. Yeah. That's a good one. Good? No, that's good. Now, I thought it's one of you guys, you know, people don't know this, but I I have a switchboard here, and I can only see your phone number. I can't see who you are. Uh, which one of you is in the 415 area code? Said Kevin or Ken? I, I, that, that, that's mine. Who is that? Kevin. I'm sorry. Kevin. Kevin. Kevin's in the 415? Okay. I'd like, we should probably get together, Kevin, at some point and chat in real time. Um, we, we, we're great. running out. Yeah, we're running out of time. Uh, but I I really appreciate that you guys uh, jumped in uh, this week. Um, I know it was a little bit uh, last minute, but uh, uh, good conversation. We only maybe we didn't even scratch the surface. We sort of put our thumbprint on it. Uh, I'd like to like to have you guys back and chat more. And I'd like to uh, make sure that the show can uh, volunteer to be a part of what. Um, you guys are doing that it just makes good sense great so thank you and, so and much. if you could great. send us a link to to the podcast we, we will put it on our site as well oh yeah no we'll definitely be doing that and uh, you know our listeners are out there and about so we're, we're trying to educate everyone um maybe we can help make that difference would be a part so again thank you guys tim sorens and kevin jones appreciate your time thanks a lot thank bro. you good to be with you all right all right take care and folks, uh, that's it for this week. Check in with us next time. Uh, we have Ron um, Crossland coming back next week. He's going to be talking about optimism and what is it good for. So we talked about money. What is it good for this week? Next week, it's optimism. So uh, interesting stuff going on. Thanks for taking the time to be with us, people, and we'll see you uh, next week. Thanks for listening to Thought Grenades with Robert Thompson and Mike Neese. Catch us live every Monday at 10 a.m. Pacific on Blog Talk Radio or listen anytime you wish on iTunes.